everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 156th episode of the podcast that is taking you on a journey through all of the uh, comic book adventures of the Marvel superhero characters, and even occasionally not their comic book adventures, because uh, we have a special episode today. <sighs> yeah, we do. We've warned you. So this shouldn't be a surprise. Or at least like a special segment of an episode. It's a standard episode, but the first title we're covering is not a comic book. It is a novel, uh, The Avengers Battle the Earth Wrecker. And then yeah. from there, we're going to go through the rest of the first week of June, Strange Tales 160, Sergeant Fury Annual 3, and Tales of Suspense 93. Yes. I'm on board with that since that's what I also read. All so right. That works. Then we're prepared. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Okay. So, The Avengers Battle of the Earth Wrecker was written by Otto Bender. Uh, it's a novel that, that I think there are a, a small handful of Marvel novels that are published in the late 60s, going to the early 70s. I know there's another one the next year, a Captain America mm-hmm. novel, and I think there's one more before there's a gap. Um, and these were released by Bantam, uh, Bantam Books. And Otto Bender is a pretty big name in Gold yeah. and Silver Age comics. Yeah, but for the other guys, right? Yeah, for well, for multiple other guys. He was a big faucet writer. Um, right. That he, other guy. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and then he moved over to DC whenever Fawcett fell apart. And he did for DC a lot of what he did for Fawcett, which was he wrote a lot of Captain Marvel stories and then developed the Captain Marvel family. My understanding he, is – go ahead. He what, Was he the cre- co-creator of Captain Marvel or no? Just a really prevalent – I think C.C. Beck – Gets sole okay. credit for Captain Marvel, but I could be wrong on that. I'm not sure either. Yeah, I, I didn't do any research. I'm talking off memory here, so I could totally be wrong, in which case we'll get letters. Um, but yeah, so Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Uncle Marvel, Marvel Bunny, a lot of that was due to Otto Bender's development. And he, you know, wrote a lot of those books and helped to make Captain Marvel the best selling comic su- superhero in the 40s, which DC didn't like because he had a cape. And had a secret identity and therefore was a mm-hmm. ripoff of Superman. Yep. So you, I don't, we're not going to go all the story about Superman leading to a lawsuit. But needless to say, whenever Otto Bender was no longer able to write for Captain Marvel, he went over to DC and did the same thing for them. Um, helped to, uh, create Supergirl. Helped develop the Legion of Superheroes for Superboy. Gave a lot of characters and depth and breadth, rather, to the Superman universe that helps to define the Silver Age. Um, and now he's and writing then, a novel. And then Marvel hired him to stifle the Avengers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I heard recently that Stan Lee did not like this book or did oh, not like the auto bender was writing it. One really? or the other, because they didn't do any promotion for it whatsoever. Huh. It just came out. But it does have an introduction by Stan Lee. So he did, you know, get paid for helping make it. Sure. But there was something about either uh, the fact that Bender was writing it or the fact that the, the, the story itself or something. I don't know the details, but that's why we don't, uh, if you read through the Marvel bullpen bulletins and such, you don't really see any mentions of the Avengers Battle of the Earth Wrecker. See, these are the kind of things I want history books on. How does this book exist? You right. Know? And you can't figure it out. And the people who do know about it are probably dead or going to die soon. And nobody's writing this stuff down. So Marvel so has tried their hand sad. at animation. Now they're trying their hand at novels, prose novels. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, 
If you are a faithful Magar's Marvelite, then you have been listening to the audiobook adaptation of this uh, novel produced by yours truly. And um, if you're if if you've heard all that, this is just gonna be a refresher. If you haven't heard all that, then here's the recap. Um, the Avengers are having Avenger Day, where they're like doing this big public demonstration of who they are and like their life stories and where their powers came from and um, showing you a little demonstration. And this is being broadcast to all the TVs all over the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the Avengers are there. Captain America's there. Uh, Wasp and Goliath are there. Hawkeye is there. Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are not there because this was written during the time, or this was intended to take place during the time where they were off in Europe. Uh, Iron Man, who was not in the comics at the time, was supposed to be there for the special day, but he has not shown up yet. Why has he not shown up yet? Because he has gotten distracted by a threat named Cars, I believe in Antarctica. Am I right with this? It starts out in Antarctica? He was trying to top the height of Mount Everest. Oh, Mount Everest. That's right. So up on Mount Everest, Cars is this uh, formidable entity who has a force field and all sorts of stuff. Iron Man can't beat him. And uh, he basically finds out that Cars has created this huge magnetic attraction that's going to pull a comet down from the far reaches of the star system and it's going to impact with Earth in a handful of days. And Iron Man's like, oh, no. And he's like, yeah, totally going to kill y'all. And that's just one of four Earth dooms. Like, oh, no. So Iron Man uh, escapes away from cars and flies back to um, to the Avengers. They have to bring a halt to Avengers Day. Uh, Iron Man tells the Avengers what's going on. They go find cars. I think they go and attack him back at the same spot about Everest. And he totally thrashes them. And he tells them that he is not just from outer space, but also he's from the future of Earth. And he uh, can't conquer the Earth. In the f- he, he can't conquer stuff in the future because the Earth of the future is stopping him. Superheroes on the Earth are stopping him from winning. And so he figures if he comes back in time and defeats or destroys 20th century Earth, and that will allow him to conquer space in the 70th century. And he has set up three more Earth dooms. Uh, and if they don't stop, you know, they're going to have to stop them all or the world's going to get destroyed. Like all life will be destroyed. Uh, one of them is a, a volcanic eruption doom where all the volcanoes are going to go up. One of them is um, there was a water one where he's going to melt Antarctica's ice cap. And so it's going to cause mm-hmm. the waters to swell, which was, you know, mm-hmm. prescient. Um, and what was the last one? Earthquakes. Earthquakes. That's right. So yeah, he's got all these. So things. basically, all the problems we're having now. Yeah. Are <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> what know, cars was explo- exploiting back then. So the Avengers split up JSA style, and they decide to go and tackle each of these Earth dooms, and each of them goes to a different region of the world: the Sahara Desert, Antarctica, and a volcanic island. Um, and each of them encounters cars at their place of attack. But in each case, uh, of the first two cases, it turns out to be a robot duplicate of cars. And so the last group that w- the last person we meet up with is Captain America. We hear his story last. All the other superheroes have lost their fights. Um, they were able to beat the androids, but 
the Earth Doom had already been triggered. So in a few days, all these things are going to happen at the same time. They go to meet up with Captain America, um, and they think they've got the real cars here, but no, he's an Android Double Two. So they go back, they regroup, they're like, okay, where is cars? And Iron Man's like, I have a doohickey that can help us scan the entire Earth. And we'll be able to pinpoint where cars is if we scan every single parsec, parsec, every single sector of the planet. And so they sit there in front of their monitor screens for like over a day of hours straight without a break, just watching the scans to see if cars blips. They're scanning brainwaves. They figure his alien brainwaves will blip and they get, they cover the whole earth. And they can't find him because they covered the entire Earth, except for their own Bloomin' headquarters. Cars is downstairs. All right. So they go downstairs. They attack Cars. Um, do they beat him there? Is that another android? They. I don't know if this happens before or after, but at some point he also has a, a, an aquatic headquarters. Yeah. So Goli- how, how, we, how do we get Goliath to the aquatic headquarters? Is, uh, I think Cars escapes and goes... Oh, because he has a magical transporter thing that he never used before. Oh, that's right. That allows him to get back to the aquatic headquarters past Goliath defending it. And then he hypnotizes Goliath with another piece of technology that he doesn't he never had before. So yes. Um, and then they have to fight. So the, the the Avengers go and raid the aquatic headquarters, Goliath gets hypnotized, they have to fight Goliath, and Wasp is super sad because they're like, We're gonna have to kill Goliath if we can't stop him without killing him. And by the way, the Avengers have said multiple times they're totally ready to kill cars once they get him to stop the Earth Dooms. Uh, there, there are no holds being barred here. Uh, and so they try to stop Goliath. They can't stop Goliath. So they go in for the kill. Wasp is super sad and scared, but she flies in and I think just starts yelling at him in the face. Goliath, I love you. And no, she um, takes out his hypno thing that none of them, the rest of them thought to do. The cars is hypno thing. Yeah, instead of attacking Goliath, she attacks Cars and knocks his hypno ray out. She attacks Cars and knocks, that's right, because she's scared the hair man is going to die. So she takes out her vengeance on Cars. Uh, the hypnotic thing fades. All four Avengers go after Cars together. They're able to beat him. And then they make him go back in time to before all this happened and stop the Earth Dooms from ever mm-hmm. being started. And mm-hmm. then they send him back to the 70th century where he is a wanted criminal for trying to conquer the galaxy and he's going to have to face his own life, never to be seen or heard from again. Yep. So that old chestnut. Yeah. So, um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My overall impressions of this. Okay. It's a very plot driven story. Yes. For sure. And cars is a bad impression of Kang. He's definitely Kang light. Well, I don't know. Based on the Kang we've currently read for this show, he's about the same as Kang, maybe. Because we know Kang gets better. Um, right. But just that, you know, the whole time travel future thing. It's conquering yeah. the future century, wanting to conquer this century. So this is Kang. a different different medium, right? It's novelization. It's not novelization. It's a novel, original mm-hmm. story. And so usually with novels, you delve into some character, right? Because you can mm-hmm. either first person or even third person kind of quote unquote hear what they're thinking or whatever. We and like you said, we don't get a lot of that. It's very plot driven. So it's just people talking to each other. We don't know what Iron Man's thinking or Cap's thinking. Not really, other than what they say out loud. In the um, Avenger re- Day we sometimes do, but like through the course of the rest of the story, not really at all. It reminds me a lot. It reminded me a lot of like I don't know if you've read any Star Trek in the sixties. I think you have. Mm-hmm. Um I read like the first two Blish 
novelizations. It kind of reminded me of that style. But then there was this original story called, I don't know how to pronounce it, but Mission to Horatius or Horatius. Yeah, Horatius, yep. Um, it really reminded me of that story where like the crew have a mysterious signal and that it could possibly be from three different planets. So they have to check all three planets. And every time they check a planet, there's a mini adventure, but then there's also an overall adventure mm-hmm. and it's like very video game, you know, like, you know, it's going to be the last planet they check. that's going to have the mysterious signal and all. <laughs> and this was the same thing. Like, Oh, let's split these guys off. They all have their own mini missions in this certain, in this cool like environment. And then let's put them all together and they have to get past their own person. And then they have to undo everything through time travel, which by the way, that's the greatest dramatic way to end a story. Writers just undo everything. That's my favorite. Um, yeah. So just kind of reminded me of that. Like, and maybe that's just a 67 style for franchise writing. I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, there wasn't a lot of depth, but it was a page turner. Like I'm not saying it was a page turner, like because it was War and Peace. I'm saying it was a page turner, like it was easy to read and yeah, and you know it didn't like bog me down or anything. I wasn't bored out of my mind. It just wasn't. Yeah, I think read in small doses. I think this could be really. You yeah, know, this is what a book. I I I recorded a chapter a day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know when I sat to record, I did I didn't do more than one chapter. I did that over the space of a while, and and you know I never felt like the recording sessions were going right. too long. I right. was, I was in, I, in the scene, I was involved in the scene, and then we were done. I was like, okay, more tomorrow. Yeah. I paced it out at two chapters a day to get to be done by this recording. So, And it was really easy to do that. I probably wouldn't recommend like, you know, trying to sit down and read a whole bunch of this and expecting to be totally engrossed by it because I don't expect no. that would be the case. But um, No, it was okay. I really have just more questions <laughs> as to his existence and the roster and – how exactly it worked in communication with Marvel and the comics they were creating, you know, and I don't think we're going to have answers for that, but that was the kind of stuff that was in the back of my mind when I was reading. Um, Also wasp and Hawkeye were were on something throughout this book. So yeah, there's a lot of that. So that's the thing, like right out of the gate, we don't have wasp or Quicksilver. And like you said, that could be because they were off, getting medical attention or whatever, or trying to restore their powers. Because they're mentioned they in Avenger it, Day. They're just, uh, they're not there. No, right they're not just mentioned though. They have statues and the statue is next to Thor's statue and they called it a memoriam. Now, memoriam could just mean in memory of past whatever, but it made it, they were, he, Cap was like almost crying and it made it seem like they were supposed to be dead. It was weird. Okay, okay. Like, like Thor and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were lost to them. I just they didn't that, say. I, I just thought of that know, it's like past Avengers. Like, and it, it did imply they didn't expect Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch to come back. No, it was very somber, it seemed like to me. And I was just reading that going, what the heck is going on with this exactly? Well, there's one thing and about the, like, the emotions in this book is when there is an emotion, it is an uh-huh. overwrought emotion. Yeah. So, Cap- Well, maybe he wasn't being sad, but he was being very earnest and serious when he was introducing these statues mm-hmm. to the news reporters and stuff. So it seemed like – it was important. It was gravitas. And also, since they never explain why Iron Man is also not a statue as a past member, he's actually a member, it just seemed like they were suggesting that Thor and Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were dead. And I was like, is this an alternate reality? I don't know. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, um, but Quicksilver, but, I'm sorry, not Quicksilver, Hawkeye and Wasp are bantering yeah, throughout the yeah, book. And I Hawkeye has been known to throw out a quick jab every you know uh-huh. few pages in an issue. Wasp, not so much, but she gives better than she gets in this. I'm hoping this, because we really haven't had a lot of Wasp Hawkeye in the Avengers, because Goliath and Wasp just came back. Right. right. 
She did run off so, with Hawkeye that one time he quit the team for five right. minutes because of the Black Widow anger. That's um, right. But, but uh, I would love for this to get carried over into the comic books, you know, these two just going at each other all the time. It was fun. Yeah, I like it. Giving Wasp more chance to speak and contribute to the story is definitely something I'm in favor of. And then I don't, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than there's just little things that are all just probably novelization trend. No, I keep saying novelization. It's not a novelization. It's, well, a, it's adapting a franchise into novel form. Yes. It hasn't been done before, yes. But, but yes. So there's like things like Cap would say, like, Goliath, Wasp, take your Avengers form. We've never heard him ever say anything weird like that before, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Or they would describe things like Iron Man has a molecular barrier between his armor and his flesh or whatever. It's like, ooh, that's. New information I've never heard of. You know. Oh, speaking of new information, I do think I remember them uh, suggesting that Cap went into suspended animation because of his soldier serum. <gasps> I don't think I noticed that. That's I cool. I feel like I read that. I could be wrong. Um, they also said his shield is impenetrable because of a coating that Iron Man developed for it. Mm-hmm. So Which like, we, okay. we've seen that in the comics before, but it was never there going after the living laser. They put the coating on the shield and it ended up oh, not working. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about later this episode about yes. Captain America's shield right now. So yes, yes timing on that. So it was kind of amusing, just little odds and ends of like mild weirdness that could just be a a medium translation thing. But uh, I don't know. Like, did you feel like it was the Avengers we're reading in comics, or did you feel like it was a different thing? I mean, it's obviously the same characters. Yeah. It's called the Avengers, but same vibe or different? I feel like it was in trying to be the same. I don't, yeah. I, I feel like the the weirdness of the writing, it just does, it wasn't Stanley's voice. It wasn't Roy Thomas's voice who's trying to emulate Stanley's voice. Um, and I feel like it was somebody else. You know what it is? When you watch Doctor Who mm-hmm. and then you try to read one of the Doctor Who annuals from the 60s. <laughs> Where he's with his grandkids and stuff. Yeah, or just just on the, just whenever he's talking in those annual stories, it's mm. just not quite the same voice. It's not Doctor Who, uh, and it feels kind of like that. It's just not didn't quite land the feel of yeah. the comic. Yeah. But if someone told me this was definitely in continuity, I'd be like, okay, they fought cars. Yeah, it feels it had a little out of sync feeling, and that could also just be because it takes way longer to write a novel than create a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know when he started writing this novel for, and what was going on in Avengers when that happened. But Iron Man has not been on the team for a long time. So that if, that in particular, like Quicksilver and, and Scarlet Witch being gone, fine, whatever. We've had that. But Iron Man just being on the team was like, that's been a while. And I don't think he's coming back in the comics anytime soon either, as far as I know. Yeah, he's not. So it was just kind of random to have him there. Uh, I guess maybe they just needed another powerful force. that and Yeah. Bringing him this in is, instead of – also giving him a science edge. That was true, although they could have just given that to Goliath, I guess. But uh, – and this is all pre-MCU too, so it's not like Iron Man was like super popular or anything. No. It's kind of weird they threw him on there. And we should also point out for those who haven't seen the cover, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are on it. Mm-hmm. But, but not – Iron Man is not. And Iron Man is not. So that's also kind of a head scratcher. The whole thing just seems like mildly off to me, I guess. Yeah. But it, but it was okay. It was fun. I'm glad I read it again. It's my second time to read it. I read it, mm-hmm. uh, what, four years ago? You saw my Goodreads review. I believe it was 2003. Oh, long time ago and, then. And you wrote, this is King Light, disappointing or something <laughs> like that. 
I mean, it's it's not a bad book. I don't think it's a waste of time, but there's also not no. a whole lot I would say to recommend it. So it's it's there. It exists. If you want to read an Avengers novel, go read it. If you don't feel the need, you're not missing a whole lot. I think this is only my second superhero novel. And in all, you know, maybe just novels in general when it comes to comic book characters is like aren't as fun because part of the fun of a comic book is you get to see the explosive visuals of mm-hmm. neat things happening. But uh I have read the two Superman novels that came out around the first two movies uh, and his first see. book from the 40s. I, I guess I've read a good half dozen or so superhero novels, but not a whole lot. Mm, yeah. Um, before we move on to our first comic, I did forget to mention one thing at the top of the show. Mm-hmm. 156 is 52 times three, which means happy three-year anniversary for the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And also there's that dang DC number again. <laughs> <laughs> been doing this for three years now wow three is my favorite number so we should just quit after this one I yes guess. we're just gonna quit the show y'all sorry, sorry. <laughs> we, have the passion for we did anymore. we did three years he's gonna make me start reading more books i'm out oh i've thought about that i'm like i really shouldn't try to push that just let it happen or it doesn't happen we'll no, see if it no, happens no, this time it's fine. it's fine it wasn't that bad uh uh, I think like more books yeah. per uh, more books per episode, more comics per episode. Oh no, no, I just meant book books. Uh, That's not happen Ameri- that often. I remember the really, really liking the Captain America. Now it's definitely not in continuity. They do some different stuff interpreting the character, but I still think it's worth a read when we get to it in a year. Well, how I haven't already read that is beyond me, so I'm fine with reading that one. I think I've only read the the Torch of Liberty one that came out like in the nineties or something. It's anyway. like it's like a it's like a good seventies action movie in book form. Oh, cool. Not a cheesy 70s action movie, but like a pretty good 70s action movie. Well, he is sporting a pistol on the cover. So right there, more out of sync. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. All right. So speaking of out of sync, I mean, I can do this and we are going to do this. But just behind the scenes, usually I cheat a little bit in my homework and try and figure out which ones I have to cover. And I read those harder than the ones I don't have to cover. And I forgot about this book. So tonight... This is going to be a fun exercise. All the ones I thought I was covering, you're covering, and vice versa. So I get Strange Tales 160, which is a weird convoluted plot that I'm going to get wrong. It's called If This Planet You Would Save, back again, the most deadly demonic, demonical foe of all the merciless Mordo. But before we get to that, we have Nick Fury in Project Blackout. I don't know if I have to read all this stuff. He's basically looking at a confidential folder that says November 10th, 1965, 8 Eastern Coastal States, 745. Okay, whatever. The 12-hour aftermath of confusion. It's in handwriting, so I can't read it. The 12-hour aftermath of confusion and terror for those trapped in Project Blackout as S.H.I.E.L.D. battled against the inevitable zero hour of a fantastic invasion against America by assailants yet unknown. At last it can be told, from the secret files as told to Stanley Editor, Jim Steranko, writer-illustrator, Sam Rosen, letterer. So this is this thing that happened a while ago that was off-camera for us, I think, and Nick is reminiscing with it or looking at the dossier with Cap because, as we recall, Cap sparred with him last issue. I guess Cap was involved in that, and it just didn't go anywhere, and they could never figure out who did it, whatever. And so Cap brought in this dude that's his friend, Jimmy, Jimmy Woo. Woo. Jimmy Woo. And I forgot to look up if this is our first appearance of Jimmy Woo. This is the first uh, Marvel Age of Comics appearance of Jimmy Woo. Jimmy okay. Woo featured in a four-issue series in the 50s called The Yellow Claw. 
and Cap was on ice in the 50s. So why does Cap know Jimmy Woo? But anyway, Cap knows Jimmy Woo and brings him in. Um, and Jimmy Woo fought one of the masterminds behind the blackout, but then disappeared. And then they uncovered evidence recently that he still may be alive. Um, but first, tell me your story, Nick and Cap. So they do that thing. Um, and the rest of this issue, I think, is a flashback. Mm-hmm. And they got a psychic transmission from their triad, their you know mental triad people um, about a fury and unbelievable menace in the Himalayas, too big to handle. Some guys like reporting this, and then he freaks out and he says, "No, no, don't!" And he dies. And like their their psych team uh, like explode. It was so violent this reaction that they picked up of this guy, this this guy. I guess he was an agent. I don't know. Um, yeah, he was. And so Nick's like, I got to go there and check this out. And I don't have time to like recruit a lot of people. Let's see what the Avengers are up to. And Cap's like, I'm the only one here. And he's like, well, you'll do. Let's go. So Nick puts on a rocket pack um, and he goes on his own. And Cap's supposed to meet him. And he gets there to where the signal came from. Statue and of Liberty. Like, oh, yeah, Statue of Liberty. How was that the Himalayas? But anyway... Anyway, he finds an army of super invaders in there, which are very Starenko-y looking like Asian kind of ninja robot people or something. And Cap sneaks up behind Nick and the two of them, like Indiana Jones in the and the Temple of Doom style, like watches this bad guy like talks about, I don't know, taking over the world or something. Um, and then so Cap and Nick attack him, get into a big fight. Cap actually uh, gets knocked out. Um, Nick keeps fighting. The bad guy gets away. Cap or Nick leaves a note with Cap and just leaves him there unconscious, I guess. So Cap wakes up and the note says, we need special gizmo to uh, defeat those creeps. No time for Tony Stark. Go to the Baxter building. I'll watch the store till you get back. Fury. So Cap wakes up and they have, and he finds like one of these uh, fly jetpack things that the bad guys have. He's like, well, I'll try this. And he turns it on and, he flies, and then once he gets really high and to the point where he could die, it stops working, and he's going to fall to his death, except we know he doesn't because this is a flashback and he's in the present. But anyway, uh, Nick, what has happened? What does Nick do? He's Nick, uh, he's dressed up as one of the um, ninja robots. Right. He dressed up as one of the ninja robots, and then he attacks some more. Uh, uh they fight him and they push him off the torch and he's about to also follow his death could be continued next. The second doom. Is that the second of four earth dooms? I don't know what that is. The four earth dooms. Yeah. What's a four earth dooms. That's the Avengers battle. The earth wrecker. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I've eliminated that from my brain. already. Okay. (laughs) We've moved on. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. So, you know that I like continuity. Mm-hmm. It's it's maybe not surprising, but all these references to the 1965, they kind of throw past continuity out the window. I think Steranko had a mm-hmm. vague concept, but no real awareness of the details of how Caps and Fury's modern relationship had been depicted. Because remember Captain America went looking for Nick Fury. He wrote that letter that never made it because it was intercepted. And then Fury shows up and tells of Suspense 78 during the early days of the whole them thing. And they talk mm-hmm. like that was the first time they'd ever seen each other since the war. And mm-hmm. that story was published in March of 66. Right. So in theory, they haven't even met yet in November of 65, unless we like wiggle the timeline a bit. 
And it, granted, it wouldn't take much wiggling, but that's how the things were laid out. So it's a little bit weird. And then, but then also when he's flashing back to 1965, he's wearing the jumpsuit that he just started wearing yesterday. Did he just? Because I didn't think he'd even started wearing it yet. Oh, you could be right about. Yeah, you're right. He was just wearing a suit, wasn't he? Yeah, we've, we've been talking about how he hasn't it doesn't have the black jumpsuit yet. Like that's the one element of of Starenko's Shield Fury that we hadn't seen yet. He's been consistently wearing a suit mm-hmm. with an eye patch. And he um, went out. He went out with Laura at the beginning of last issue uh, in a suit, and then came down and trained and fought Captain America. You know, topless, and now he's jumpsuiting it. Okay, so I guess you could argue that in this one adventure he wore a shield outfit or whatever, but it does seem like he's like Starenko's just ignoring what it was like two years ago in Marvel. And if this were like five or ten years down the road, you can tell a story that happened two years ago. It doesn't have to fit into anything because things are established. But things Mm -hmm. aren't really that established yet. We're still establishing. No. And I really don't like that Cap's friend is Jimmy Jimmy Woo because like, who's that? Okay, so how are they friends? Cap, the whole thing about Cap is he's a man out of time and he doesn't know anybody. This is true, totally true. He does say that Jimmy was one of the uh, country's top FBI men, so I guess it's conceivable he could meet the guy. I guess, yeah. um, I think this is a first for quote unquote modern Marvel pulling a character out of the Atlas era into Mm. continuity because, like, Mm -hmm. they kind of did that with Bira, but they made their own new version of Bira. Right. This is a sequel to the Jimmy Woo of the Yellow Claw from 1956. Yeah. And I'm cool with Jimmy Woo being in this story. Not that he really does anything for me to decide if he's cool or not, but he seems cool because uh, he wears a suit. So that's mm-hmm. all it takes to impress me, I guess. Uh, it's just weird that like they tack on that Cap brings him like their best buds or something, and we've never heard of him before. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. Um, yeah. I did read the entire Yellow Claw miniseries over the last week because I was curious. I was just reading the first story, the last story, but first issue was actually pretty good. Um, you have to get past the very unfortunate art depictions of Asian people, specifically Chinese oh, God. people. Yeah. Well, he's fine in here. Yeah, he's fine here. And other than that, the art in the first issue is gorgeous. Um, and even the bad renditions oh, yeah. are done very, very well. <laughs> yeah, he's full on Serenko now. It was amazing how quickly that happened. Um, not to mean the art, the art in the Yellow Claw was was was. Oh, gorgeous. sorry. Well, I meant in this story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty really great, great in this too. Uh, in fact, Serenko's doing more Serenko in this than he's done before. You know, what would have been great is if Nick Fury brought in Jimmy Woo as a top FBI guy because Nick Fury would obviously know top FBI guys. And he says that would make Jimmy so much Wu. more sense. You're right, Jimmy Woo. This is Cap, Cap, Jimmy Woo, and Jimmy would be like, "Oh, Cap, I know about your. I really love the way you used to smash commies ten years ago." And Cap would have yeah. been, "Huh? What? <laughs> I wasn't even here then, or were you?" Um. So the guy on the monitor on page three at the beginning of the flashback who has the freak out. Uh huh. Notice that hand on the last panel. Oh gosh, is this yellow claw? That is the yellow claw and his yeah. long fingers with the long pointy fingernails is iconic to the character. So when Jimmy Woo says back a few years ago, I fought one of the most sinister evil masterminds who ever lived. He's literally talking about his fifties adventures. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's pretty cool actually. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, this is, this is pretty much a straight up sequel <laughs> to those, those adventures. Yeah. Um, and you know, the series, Especially the first issue. It's not a bad read. 
Um, it's multiple stories about the same characters. And the first issue is actually all from the Yellow Claws perspective. Jimmy Woo is a supporting character in it. So it feels like it's going to be a series that features the threat and the hero is like the secondary person. But over the course of just four issues, it, tr- it shifts pretty dramatically. The, the third and fourth issue are a bunch of little five page stories that are much less of note. But the first couple issues are worth reading. Cool. Um, I'm gonna stop talking about it now, but it's just it's you know I'm ahead. <laughs> well, hey, you put in the time to read it. You might as well talk about it. <laughs> okay, so we get into this facility, and I don't want to speak blasphemies here, but this feels page five feels a lot like a '70s Jack Kirby page. I was gonna say it's very Kirby esque, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, robot Asian villain guys, but then I remembered it wasn't Kirby, so yeah, I didn't give him credit. But it kind of feels like Kirby Strenko's channeling his Kirby. It's cool designs, though. I don't know. Yeah. I yeah, think they they're cool. supposed to be real people, but they also all have, like, colored mouths and stuff. So I'm not sure if they're supposed to be real people or synthetic monsters or something. I, I fear that the yellow skin is the intended depiction of the people inside. Uh. But they are supposed to be people, regardless of that point. Um, I did write down that this had a feeling of shared universe interrelationships that I just don't really think we've actually accomplished yet. Mm. Like page, page nine, they talk about going after Stark and then they can't wait for Stark. And so just go to the Baxter building and I'll catch up to you. And I'm like, okay, that all yeah. feels like we all live in the same world, but yeah. I don't feel like we're that closely knit yet. in just the way we've interacted. Apparently it takes longer for Tony Stark to make something than it does for Reed Richards. I'll buy that. <laughs> At least according to uh, Nick Fury. Now, uh, now, Nick Fury and Captain America are not going to die anytime soon in any of these stories. So there's really right. no drama of that ever happening. But what do you think of like how he ends both Cap and Nick seemingly falling to their death, but they're telling a story? So <laughs> they're not really going to fall to their death, right? Well, remember at the end of uh, Kick-Ass when he's like, you think you're so smart. Haven't you seen American Beauty? You know, you don't know that I'm going to survive this just because of telling the story. So uh-huh. get off your except that's not quite like that because, you know, it's a flashback. Having a right. cliffhanger within a flashback is an interesting choice. <laughs> right. A, a double cliffhanger because Captain America falls to his death and Sar- uh, Sergeant Fury, Nick Fury falls to his death, both. I guess so the ba- I guess the drama is how would they get out of this? Mhm. Cuz I do wonder that. That's always the drama. We expect the good guys to win. Right. You want to save a planet? Oh, man, I'm going to make this one even worse, probably. Okay, if this planet you would save through a fateful, catastrophic dischance, mischance, Doctor Strange has caused the occult powers lying dormant in the minds of Earth's mystics to be awakened now, lest the impact of their combined evil power call down the devastating wrath of the dreaded living tribunal upon our world. The master of the mystic arts must somehow undo his deadly error without delay. Stan Lee, that seer of seers, presents Raymond Maris, Maris, Maray, Mary Severin, Saga of Sorcery, Surprise, and Spellbinding Suspense, inked by Herb Trimp, lettered by Al Kurzrock. Is that new also? Roses by Forbush of Transylvania, LTD. Um, yeah, so Fury, Fury. Strange is surrounded by the 18 people that are now evil and by Mordo, who has presented himself as of last issue. They get into a fight, but 
the whole time, Strange is like, Mordo, listen, we are all going to die. It doesn't, you can't really take over the Earth because if we don't fix this before this magic hourglass stops running, uh, the Living Tribunal is just going to take care of all this and you're not going to have anything to rule. And of course, Mordo doesn't listen for a while. Uh, so they get into like a fight while he's trying to plead with him. Uh, but then eventually he like shows him, doesn't he show him? Yeah. He shows him like the montage of what's been happening in the last few issues. And Mordo's like, gosh, I need to get out of here. Actually, <laughs> I'm not strong enough to deal with this. And so strange is like, well, actually I'll help you. So he does the incantation where he takes one of these new, newly bad guide sorcerers and he takes all the sorcery out of him and he puts it into Mordo, which makes Mordo more powerful with the idea that Strange and Mordo can work together as bros to, uh, you know, do this to the rest of them. And so at first Mordo kind of goes along with that. But then while Strange isn't looking, he uses his newfound power to, guess what? Knock Doctor Strange out. And next issue, and a scourge shall come upon you. I think I skipped a little bit, but not really. That's not pretty much what lot. happened. There was a guy in the crowd he had to take out at one point. Right. The guy who like led them all there who looks like a gypsy or something. Yeah, because last issue there was a guy in charge of these guys. Mm-hmm. And then Baron Mordo sort of revealed at the end. So he still had to take care of the, the not most powerful guy. So Mordo's alkalite or whatever he is. <laughs> right. So a couple uh, new names in the credits. Um, Raymond Murray mm-hmm. comes into comics with this issue. And he's going uh-huh. to do three issues for our show, and then he's going to go over to DC, and he's going to work for them for a little oh. while. He work he he writes sixteen comics and then stops. Wow, it's just like not for me, man. I guess I got a I got a news job. Um, we have seen Al Kurzruck before uh, okay. a couple of times, but not very many. Captain America ninety one, the last defeat, which I think was the end of the Red Skull story. And oh. uh, the previous Doctor Strange chapter, he lettered that. And we're going to see him, like, very infrequently in Sergeant Fury and maybe X-Men. But he Ooh. doesn't have a whole lot of credits for our show. Um, they're just kind of scattered really far apart of the next handful of years. So we'll see while, his name. While you're telling us about appearances, who is the lady on page nine before I forget? Ah, uh, I was wondering if you knew. Okay. Because I forgot to look. She says her name, Victoria Bentley. Yes. Before Clea, like long before Clea, there was a story where he had to go help Sir Bentley or something like that. And his daughter, Bentley's daughter, came to ask him for help. And they went over. And I think the dad turned out to have been dead for a while. And But there was a really nice chemistry between Doctor Strange and Victoria that we kind of wish she would stick around. I and remember then she that. didn't. Yeah. So she has an innate evil <laughs> inside her, I guess. Either that or she's infiltrating. I'm kind of hoping she's infiltrating, but she could be innately evil as well. She says, well, I know. I Do- don't. Go ahead. I was just reading her bubble. She says, I know Dr. Strange somewhere. He and Mordo both. I've met them before, but until now, uh, I thought maybe she said why she came there, but she doesn't seem to say that. No, but I'm wondering if, is it definitely evil magic that's awakening, or is it just people with magic and most of them are using it for evil? Or is there a difference? Is there a dark side, or is it just how you use it? <laughs> I think they're saying here that it's not necessarily the magic, but it is the person doing the magic. So if they have a strong sense for evil, then they're going to lean themselves towards evil. 
Um, I did find what I was looking for. Victoria's on the bottom of page five. And while Mordo's cackling, she says, something deep within my heart bids me resist the will of Mordo, but I have no strength. Okay. I feel like unless there's a future issue where it shows how many actually are succumbing to this, like this is nothing the Fantastic Four or the Avengers can't handle. Why is Living Tribunal so worried about this? There's like 10 dudes here with with magic powers. Yeah, but you had to fight magic with magic, right? I, yeah, I don't know. If the thing punched somebody really hard, it wouldn't hurt them. <laughs> Could work. Could work. Um, they're but I'm they're gonna, all not Sorcerer Supremes, apparently. I'm going to cast my Cone of Impenetrability around us, and you can't get to us. So there. Oh. I'm going to tap three mana points, and no, I don't know. It just seems like they're all level one crap mystic people, because they if they weren't, they would have just taken Doctor Strange out, and they can't. Also, why the frogs does Doctor Strange... Put evil power into Baron Mordo. Because <laughs> he apparently needed help. And he for some reason thinks Baron Mordo is the one that should help him instead of like that cool chick that's resisting the evil. And maybe she didn't, he didn't notice she was in the crowd. But You know what I just thought about? Hmm. Mordo. I think Mordo is just another one of those names that's based on the Latin word for death. Like oh. Voldemort. M-O-R-D or M-O-R-T or M-O-R-S. Those are all derivations of the latin word for death and i'm just wondering if this yeah. is just just another bad guy whose name is death probably Anyways. his parents didn't love him <laughs> or maybe he claimed that name for himself maybe his real name's like larry or something i want his name to be larry yes we know nothing about him i don't even know what country he's from how he showed up to be with the ancient one why it didn't work out i know we i guess we know why it didn't work out but because he kept trying to take over i seem to remember him being european but i can't remember where i might have thought that. Yeah, well, he seemed it's probably the the green outfit with the giant collar. Anyway, right. I don't have much to say. It's not bad, but it's just like is no, this going to be another twenty eight parter? I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully, if it is twenty eight parter, it does more interesting things than the last one. But yeah. um, I do love Maurice Everett on the book. I think it looks great. I just not really love yeah. the stories as much. Yeah. Speaking of S- really long, <laughs> Sergeant Fury, King Size Edition Special Number Three. Uh, Vietnam, the valor and the victory prologue, the time summer, 1967, the palace, the palace, the place, the steaming jungles of the Republic of South Vietnam, the man, Colonel Nick Fury, director of shield and former leader of world war II's famed howling commandos. The question, what's he doing in Vietnam? The answer. Oh, no, you don't. You'll have to read this yarn and learn for yourself. Soldier. Stan Lee passionately presents a Gary Friedrich, Dick Ayers, powerhouse of panoramic battle pageantry, inked by John Tartaglioni, lettered by Sam Rosen, prosaic protesting by Ho Chi Minh. Um, Okay, so Nick Fury is running a mission in Vietnam, and we don't know why he's there. He's just shirtless. He's just wearing one strip of fabric. And he's beating people up. And now we're like, okay, we've got you hooked. Let's go back 48 hours. And we see Nick Fury uh, in his suit uh, talking to his S.H.I.E.L.D. cohort of Stillwell, Jones, and Dugan. And they're waiting for a call from the president. They're flying to Washington. Uh, or they're on the uh, helicarrier. helicarrier bound for Washington. And they do. They get a Skype call from President Lyndon B. Johnson. who's like, hey. We need um, 
we need some place in Vietnam blown up. We need it blown up real good, but we can't send any troops in or people who can be recognized as official government personnel in the United States. We need, we need, I think we need a team of middle aged, out of practice civilian men to run this very crucial meeting. And Nick Fury's like, I don't know where we're going to get any of those. And Lyndon B. Johnson says, ha ha, I do. And so, yes, we're going to go recruit all of the howlers, besides, of course, the two who are already here, Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe Jones. Also, Jasper Sitwell is on the team. So we then go through this delightful series of scenes where each of our howlers is in the middle of their life and they get a call from Nick Fury. Dino Manelli is uh, hosting the Dino Manelli show, which seems to be some sort of interview talk variety show. Uh, Izzy Cohen is working at Cohen's Garage. Um, and his mom doesn't want him to leave. Um, his wife. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. Walter Koenig. Not Walter Koenig, because that's <laughs> Chekhov. Bob <laughs> Chekhov is on the howlers. Eric Koenig is flying planes for a living, and he lands in Washington, and a couple of suited men walk up to this ex-Nazi and say, we need you to come with us. The first guy says that. The second guy's we're, we're agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We, we know Colonel Fury. He sent us to come see you. And he's like, okay, let's go see how the, how the colonel's doing. Um Pink, uh, Percy Pinkerton is running a gentleman's club, and uh, he gets a phone call. Reb Ralston is in the middle of cheating Senator Bird at poker, mm-hmm. and he gets a phone call. Um, and yeah, so they all arrive at the uh, helicarrier. They all have their hellos and how are yous, and they get the um, specifics of the mission from Sam Sawyer himself. Happy Sam, who's a general now. Walks in and yells at him up, up one side and down the other and tells him exactly what's going to happen. And like, okay, now that you've gotten to play general and yelled at us, son, you want to come, you know, come play poker, or have dinner with us? And so I was like, no, 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 you get out of here. So, uh, they fly away. They go to the drop point in Vietnam from where they're going to then fly into the North Vietnam area. And who meets them there? Still a sergeant, Bull McGivney. It's all home week, old home week. And um, so Bull yells at him and says, yes, I'm in charge of this mission. You're just a civilian. I don't care if you're a colonel. You're not you're not in the army anymore. So I get to tell you what to do. And don't you forget it or, you know, whatever. So they go on the mission. Um, and from there, it becomes basically a standard um, Sergeant Fury Howling Commandos book. It's just in Vietnam instead of in a more appropriate locale for World War II. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole the the drama is that Eric Koenig has to fly away, and he's going to be back in exactly one hour. And if they're not back, he has to take off without them. Those are the orders. Um, so they go. They do successfully blow up the place. Um, they are late getting back, and so Bomagivney is there. He sends his men off to leave, and he figures he'll wait for Fury, and they'll figure out how to get back together. Fury gets there, but the guys, no, what is it? The Howlers get there, I think, first, and then they leave. Fury gets there, but it's late. He and McGivney get captured. Everybody comes back to rescue them against orders, and they all get out of there, and they fly away. Sam Sawyer says, good job. I hate you. You're terrible people, but I also love you. You're the best people ever, and uh, don't let anyone ever tell anyone I told you that. And that's basically the end of the story. 
Um, they're like, and so everyone goes their separate ways. Now you know where all your howlers are nowadays, and who knows mm-hmm. what the future holds, but mm-hmm. probably not more of this. Except that next month will be more of this. It was really long. I think you both agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it it's 43 long. pages. It's a 43-page story. A heavily dialogued 43-page story. But I did – I mean, it is a little – once you get – like you said, once you get to the part where it's basically a stereotypical uh, – Sergeant Fury issue, it's okay. But I liked a lot of the stuff leading up to that. And I do really think the best part of the story is we do get to see what all the Howlers are up to in present day 616 continuity as of 1967. So that was really cool. Fully agreed. The first act is the best part of the book. And that was the best part of the first act. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it, what's funny is I was reading – I'm reading the recruitment stuff. And I had this weird feeling like I'm reading – a cool invaders or all-star squadron comic yes and and we're getting like all these characters that used to exist in the golden age except none of these characters actually existed in the golden age they've existed since we started this podcast so so i was or, thinking you know, since the 60s so they do a really good job of kind of invoking the feelings of it's been a long time yeah let's exactly. have a reunion Right. Even and it feels like it's that. It's not true, but no, it's true. No, it's not. <laughs> the thing is, at the end of the book, if I, I had like double emotions because I was like, oh, all of my Howling Commandos, they're going to go live their lives now, do their thing. Yeah. We are going to have 80 more issues of this comic book. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> So the feeling like we're it's we're really catching up with them and where have they been all this time? They haven't been anywhere all this time. That's no, what's haven't. weird about it. Yeah. But they you're right. They did make it feel that way and that was cool. There were some cool uh, tiebacks to continuity too, like mentions of um, you know, Strucker and Klawa. And I even wrote mm-hmm. down uh how they kind of tied into current continuity as well. Um I wrote down page six, last panel. Um Oh, yeah, I've been under great stress to remove Fury as head of S.H.I.E.L.D., mainly because he isn't the refined gentleman Washington society expects. But those folks don't help win wars with blood and guts. Men like Dick Fury do. So it's just kind of nice to have the president's opinion on all that. And uh, Friedrich does a much better job of his flashback because it actually does feel like, even though we just had this major direction change five seconds ago, like there's Jasper and there's Dum Dung and Gabe and Nick in a suit. Like, mm-hmm. We're not going to get that anymore. So this really is some time that in the past versus that other Strange Tales we just read where it seemed like the past was basically what Jim Steranko wanted his present to be. The past did feel like <laughs> you're right. It's almost as like the framing sequence actually takes place in 1968. Yeah. And they're flashing back to what he wants 1967 to be. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. So um, I don't know if you remember, but the last time we saw these guys, and by these guys I mean the, the S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, major players, they were uh-huh. all heading their separate ways. Right. So, Which was only a couple issues ago. I did some tales. research. I clicked through some links, and here's the chronology for everyone keeping track at, at home. You have your scorecards out? Okay. The Strange Tales arc that we just started with Jimmy Woo and the Yellow Claw and all that stuff, that's going to go to 167. After that is going to come this story. Fury goes from here to deal with Avengers and Captain America stuff and gets, you know, not killed in that issue of Tales of Suspense. And Sitwell at that time is going to go where he's going. Because remember, he said, I've got some very special assignments uh-huh. I can't tell you about. Well, right. turns out they are in our comics and we will get to those. Oh, fun. 
I don't he has sp- to take down the Hulk, everybody. Something like that. I don't want to spoil ahead. So it all lines up. Okay. He just. I like that. Nick Fury is involved in four stories being told at the same time. <laughs> right. He's been very all over the place. He and Cap are both kind of like crisscrossing. Right. Um, I don't think this is our first depiction of a real life president, but is it a first depiction of a real life president that's actually the president at the time of the comic book? Um, I don't we, know. I feel like we I saw thought, Kennedy. Okay. We did see Kennedy. Okay. Yeah. We saw Kennedy. Uh, there was a reference to the daughter and the dog or cat or something running around. Well, there's a lot of president in this one and a mm-hmm. lot of depiction of him. So that was interesting. They even give him like an accent and everything. Um, I was waiting to see if Dino's wife was Ilsa. Oh, did you know there was a Dean Martin show at this time? Oh, is there? Yeah. Like a variety show kind of thing. Yeah. I did not look it up, but I, I'm not surprised. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So they're, so they're basically just keeping him as Dean Martin. <laughs> And for some reason, I was, inclu- I was worried they would not include Eric Koenig because he wasn't around yet in the last Flash Forward story. Yeah. And- well, but basically, he's been relegated to pilot again. Mm-hmm. Although this time, he has a junker of a plane. So there was a little drama in his- on his part, like keeping it together. Yeah. But not much. He doesn't get to go on the missions anymore. He's just like the taxi. And Senator Byrd showed up and... It's mislettered as Boyd. So he's not listed in all the appearance lists. Uh, Chronology Project oh. doesn't show it. And it's Senator Reb. Yes, Reb Ralston is a senator. That's great. Okay, so by the way, the plan is really stupid because and kind of racist. But like, they're supposed to dress as Vietnamese peasants. They're supposed like, to wear okay. yeah local clothing so they can not draw attention to themselves as they move oh. through the town. And they put on makeup too, as if like this is the '60s and white people can play any part. Right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Gabe. Not just white people, but. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how he pulled that off either. But um, but also, it's like, we don't want you guys to be recognized. We don't want you to be recognized as official anything. And if you get captured, you all have to eat cyanide and all that. But it's like, dude, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., who we know is a known person, mm-hmm. freaking senator, which you could look up, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, freaking Dean Martin show. Everybody T- knows who Dean Martin is. TV movie celebrity, yep. Yeah, so it's like just the three alone, that's the worst people you could send on this mission where you don't want anybody to know who they are. Mm-hmm. It was kind of weird. Also, the idea of we don't want anyone tied to the government, so we're going to go get some civilians. Yeah. I mean, they have trained operatives right. who go in with no identification. That is a thing that yeah. exists. At least that's what all of my movies and TV shows have told me. Right, who are exists. probably in the prime of their fitness, too. And yeah, fitness, youth, training, uh, recent training and experience. Yeah. yeah. So you have to swallow a big old feasibility, believability pill to, to get into the story. But, you know, yeah. once you're that said, that, the Howlers theoretically are 10 times better than any other squad. So maybe mm-hmm. at this age, they're only two times better than any other squad or something. I don't know. You we're, know Vietnam. Uh huh. I've heard of it. Yeah. We should, we should probably do something about that. That's basically yeah. Senator Byrd. He's like, Vietnam's a problem. We should – how do you want to fix that, Ralston? <laughs> it's just like <laughs> – I'm bad because I didn't look up like how deep we are in Vietnam during this issue. And it seemed like they were unsure of its future at this versus you know the depressing outcome we will ultimately have with it. Well, protests for Vietnam really started to rise right towards the end of the 60s. And we're in 67. So if it's not, I mean, I think 
the language they give to Bird about how Vietnam is a, is a tangled mess that needs to be resolved is probably coming out of some of the early, I don't know, political, public political awareness of it in America. Right. I don't think it's gotten, I don't think it's gotten superheated yet, but I could be wrong. I imagine it hasn't because otherwise they wouldn't have made this story. Probably. We have asked ourselves multiple times, whatever happened to McGivney and is he ever going to be in present day? And here he is. <sighs> but he didn't get anywhere. He is the guy at the high school reunion who has done nothing with his life and is pulling the same bullshit he pulled when he was 17 years old. And it's just like, oh my gosh. Well, he's still super, person? he's still obviously super tough. Mm. I mean, he's jerky, but I, I also continue to argue that the only reason we don't like him is because he's not on our team. I do and like we, that he gets a chance to be human in this. Yeah. And if we were on his team, we would not like Nick Fury, right? Because they both have the same attitudes. They both have that fight or die attitude. They both have that, you know, like making fun of other people and calling them lambasted this and whatever that. And they're both very tough and good at what they do. So I'm kind of surprised that he's still a sergeant. I love this panel, the first panel on page 19 when he and Dum Dum go at it. Mm-hmm. And the guy in the back's like, I've never seen anybody push bull around. And it's like, that makes sense because the howlers <laughs> haven't been active for 20 years. And so now McGivney is the top tough guy, right? Right. So all of a sudden it was like these old guys come back who used to get in it with him all the time. That's kind of fun. That is fun. Um, Sam Sawyer went from rough but respectable to downright mean. I didn't really like that first scene with him. In fact, a lot yeah. of the stuff about yelling, berating, and threatening like you do in Sergeant Fury uh-huh. felt really out of place with this because these are 40-year-old men who are doing well, you a favor. That's true. and But Nick is still that way, even in, as a head of S.H.I.E.L.D., he's still that way, which is kind of weird. Like, he'll never pass human resources at this point. Uh, it didn't take him long to get back into full-on Sergeant Fury mode. I wish, like, yeah, you're right. I, I wish that there was at least one moment where Sam, like, let up a little bit. Because all the rest of them did. They were all happy to see him, and they wanted to, like, hang out and drink with him and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even Nick was smiling on one of those panels. That's very rare. But, yeah, he never let up. Once we get into the action of the story, um, it becomes more of a shorthand. And I feel like that doesn't work to its credit because things like reducing the characters to their to their shorthand – Gabe Jones constantly making bugle references. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that other stuff. It's just like, they're more than that now. They're, they're people now. Theoretically, Jones is an accomplished agent of shield. Whenever they mm-hmm. ask him, what did you learn in your foreign, um, foreign affairs courses? And he's like, I just learned the music. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I agree. And also all, all of the things they say, you know, they're constantly belittling Nazis in the world war two stories. But they pulled out, like, downright racial epithets against the Vietnamese. They did. And I was wondering if we liked that or not. It's weird. Like, it doesn't bother me as much when they do it to Germans in World War II stories because it's like, oh, well, Nazis are bad. And this is also a propaganda war, and I kind of like it. But then when it was in this and Nick was calling people racial slurs, I was kind of like, eeps. I didn't love it. I mean, other than like the swamp generic, rats, yeah. I can't remember what else he called them. Things like that. It's just like, eh, yeah, there was, making, this is awkward. You know, Zieg Heil and Nazi, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, uh, goose stepper or whatever they goose call stepper. Them. Yeah. I feel like that's more of an insult to the German army than it is yeah. to the German people. And they've right. made a point to like validate the German people in those comics. 
But yeah. Well, because we, also that's that's white versus white because Germans are still white. So it's true. It's hard so to get now racially. if you're calling this Asian guy a swamp rat, is that because he's your enemy or because you have a I don't know a problem with problem. what he is? Yeah. And even if it is because he's your enemy, maybe you want to like find different ways to hate him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That did bother me. It happened a couple of times. There was a couple of dialogue balloons where it was like, "Ugh, this doesn't date well." But overall, not a bad book. Like like was yeah. I think the first third to half is a lot more going for it than the last half to two thirds. I like them again to give any bit where they he gets he waits for them even though everybody tells him not to. Yes, and he justifies it because for some like bad reason, but we know it's deep down he doesn't want these guys to get killed. And then I like that Nick goes after McGivney, and I like when they were captured that they both kind of like were like, well, if we're gonna die, I guess you weren't so bad. You either. That was good stuff. But yeah, kind of like that third. That was the last act, and the first two acts were good, and the middle act or the third act was just kind of ho hum howler stuff, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was all right. It was probably the best annual we've got from Sergeant Fury. I think so. I think I enjoyed it more than either of the first two. Um, I'm looking There's at more sh- if you want to tell everybody what else is included if they want to go buy this. Oh yeah, so we, me, we get a look- commission. I was looking to see who um, who still has appearances. Oh, okay. That was the last appearance. No. Difference between last and chronologically latest. You know what else was a missed opportunity? Let's just keep talking about this book forever. But um, Sitwell gets to go too. Um, And he's not a howler, obviously. He's a shield agent. Mm -hmm. And it might have been neat. He was excited to go. But then we don't really hear his voice after that at all. It would have been neat to have like a – modern person's perspective on the gloriousness of the howlers seeing them in action or something like that, you know? Right. But he doesn't talk. He's just there. So that was the chronologically latest appearance of Sergeant Bull McGivney. Oh, so that's his last appearance? Yeah, I mean, he's in the World War II story still, but we're not going to find anything else about his life. Everybody else in this story still has more going on in their life in the future. cool. cool. Including Sam Sawyer. He shows up in some Thors and some Captain Americas down the road. I mean, if he's a general, he should be able to just show up in places, right? Yep. Any, yeah, anytime there's an alien invasion or something. And I don't know what annual four is, but it takes place after this one. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see what it's happens uh, where all the howlers get together. Desert Storm? I don't know. I don't know. First it was World War II, then it was Korea, then it's Vietnam. What? What's the next war? There isn't one. Um. But yeah. Okay, so what else is going on in this book? Uh, there are a bunch of featurettes at the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think 10 pages was the count of just uh, splashes and two-page spreads of all the major characters. You've got Percy, Dugan, Ralston, and Jones mm-hmm. with little blurbs about who they are and where they're from. Mm-hmm. You have a page with Koenig, Cohen, and Manelli. Koenig is very small in the corner. You have a page with a uh, fury partially hiding behind a pillar. It's kind of weird. And uh-huh. Captain happy Sam Sawyer stand there yelling at the camera. You have a somewhat poignant page of in the foreground are three characters who have died. Now, mm. two of these were in more than one issue. One of them was in only one issue, but I feel like she's left an impact. Um, Nina Bergson was the woman that Dina was in love with and was ready to leave the Howlers over until she turned out to be a Nazi spy and then died when she couldn't Nazi anymore. <laughs> That's um, exactly what the caption says, too. 
Lady Pamela Hawley is there in her uniform, and Jonathan Jr. Juniper is also there. Um, And in the background, like, we're standing in the clouds with these dead souls looking down on the Howlers arrayed at attention, looking up in respect. And then you have a page of Sergeant Bull McGivney and his Maulers, and McGivney is, like, doing the hip-hop. He's pointing at his sergeant chevrons or whatever. Oh, is that, is that what, what that is? I think that's what he like. Look at me, I'm a sergeant. I don't know. Okay, I thought Weird. it was like 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 I don't know. <laughs> both fingers out. <laughs> I am never. I am never gonna unsee it that or not see it that way from now on. He is dancing, y'all. Oh and God. a guy whom we have barely even noticed exists, Raquette Johnson, is in the background. He is uh, McGivney's uh, number one lieutenant. We get a page of Colonel Klawa and the Blitz Squad. But they didn't really know what to do with a lot of this page because there's a lot of white space. Uh, we get a um, biography of Dick Ayers and Gary Friedrich, which I did not read. And then we get a two-page spread that's not really a two-page spread. It's more like two one-pages next to each other. Mm-hmm. But it has all of the howlers arrayed across two pages, uh, including including Sitwell. I guess this is the uh, I guess this is a scene from the story we just read. Mm-hmm. Even though they're all dressed in fatigues that they didn't wear because they were dressed as peasants, but that's okay. Yeah, it's cool anyway. And McGivney is that McGivney way in the background? Yeah, I think it is. Okay, but it's so cool. That was it's like, it's like little uh, you know precursors to the official handbook of the Marvel Universe type entries, or I don't know. This is the kind of stuff I ate up when I was a kid because you didn't have to get back issues if you could just read who these people are. Keep going. Mm-hmm. You know? It's good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, that was a long – I'm exhausted. Should we just quit now? What time is it? No. Oh, no. We have to keep going. All right. We There's got one more. more, right? One more comic. This is a really good comic too. So we should end on it. I think the last one wasn't bad either. But anyway, Tales of Suspense, number 93, Don't Miss the Villainy of Half-Face, Power versus Power, Back Again, Stronger Than Ever, The Titanium Man. Um, the Golden Gladiator and the Giant is what it's called on the inside. So once again, we have – a difference with the cover and the splash page. Very rare. Having invaded the mysterious castle of Half-Face. Half-Face. Taser-Face. Deep within North Vietnam, Iron Man prepares to battle the sinister scientist. Uncanny living weapon. Smiling Stan Lee and genial Gene Colan invite you to share the excitement accompanied by Frank Giacoya Inker and Artie Semek Letterer. Irving Forbush couldn't make it. But he said he'll take a rain check. Caution, do not turn this page if you have anything more important to do. Once you see who our mind-shattering villain is, face it, friend, you're going to be hooked. Then why did you put it on the cover? Exactly that. And also, I feel like that caution thing could backfire. Because it also sounds like if you have something better to do, do it. (laughs) (laughs) If you have something better to do, then why are you not doing that instead of being here? Don't open this page if you have anything better to do. Okay. But yeah, remember last issue how they did this big old play up that that lock. What's his name? Lockjaw, not Lockjaw. Half Face has like a uh, secret weapon that he's gonna throw at the invading Iron Man, and here's Iron Man coming down this tunnel, and it's like, who? Who's the secret weapon? But you're right, they totally just like ruin it on the cover with Titanium Man's booty right there. But anyway, they try and make it seem like a uh, 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 surprise. Anyway, we open with Iron Man going down this tunnel and then it just starts shaking and it's getting louder and louder and all of a sudden we have this ginormous awesome reveal splash page that's undermined by the cover of Titanium Man just 
being twice the size of Iron Man and smashing into the wall and Iron Man barely dodging the punch. And he's like, oh, my God, you are so much bigger and more powerful. And they start getting into a fight and his, you know, uh, um, what do you call them? Repulsors don't like, they just bounce right off Titanium Man. And he's like, yeah, Half-Face is giving me more power and saved my life from drowning last time you saw me. Um, and they get in this big fight. Iron Man, by the way, guys, did you know that in order to get his iron skates to come out, he has to rotate his ears? That just makes it all the better, doesn't it? <laughs> so he rotates his ears and his skates come out and he starts flashing him basically, like going around in circles really fast. Um, meanwhile, we cut to Half Face and he has a flashback of his own life. He's basically had, was forced to live in this castle and work to do science things. He was taken away by the government from his mother and young daughter, I think, or son, baby, anyway, child, man, child, his son. Um, and while he was doing experiments, something blew up and then he lost half his face and now he can't go back to his wife or children because he's scary. So he's just going to be evil. Um, the whole spinning thing doesn't really work. It just tires Tony out and he loses his battery and the titanium man beats him. Um, and takes him to, oh no, yeah, takes him to Half Face. And then Half Face is like, listen, there's going to be, uh, I want you to go to, is it America? I want you to go. American bombers are preparing to attack a new military target in North Vietnam. So he wants Titanium Man to go there and, like, I don't know what he wants him to do. Destroy a peaceful village and blame it on the Americans. That's what he wants him to do. So the Americans are going to bomb a not peaceful village. And while they're there, Titanium Man's going to kill a bunch of peaceful people, and then everybody's going to blame those bombers doing that on the Americans. And Iron Man is, like, listening to this plot, but he can't get up because he's out of batteries. Uh, so next issue, how? And also there's, like, two panels of a mysterious guy visiting Stark Enterprises looking for Stark. Mm -hmm. He wears a fedora, and he's in perpetual shadow. That's all I know. When you made the joke about the um – Dials pull it on his ears for his skates. Uh -huh. It reminded me of in the novel how they like, and I remember this because they use the word rheostat, which is a word that I don't think I have ever used or heard outside of that novel. But he like manually increases his power levels by turning a dial, rheostatting up his power levels in order to do mm -hmm. something. It just reminded mm -hmm. me of that. But yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he does that in the comics still, right? The ones we're covering. Like, he always has to press a button or something. Something like that. I feel like so much of that should just be automatic. Man, he just no. thinks like, it and it happens. I feel like I thought my whole life that the Crimson Dynamo was more prevalent than the Titanium Man, but I feel like we're getting a lot more Titanium Man so far. Mm-hmm. Which I, I'm cool with. I think he looks neat. I like him. Um, he's green. He's big. He's powerful. Uh -huh. Yeah. And when I think of people that Iron Man has fought – that he has fought multiple times that I like seeing when they show up. Uh-huh. Titanium Man. Yeah. More so than uh, Ming the Merciless anyway. Mm-hmm. What's his real name? I forget. Mandarin. Mandarin. Thank you. Yeah. Great page on number three. I mean, it really is too bad. I mean, I don't know what the solution is. If it's Iron Man's turn and you have to make a cover, what else do you have? Half face? That's not going to no, sell No, it's anything. true. It's, it's fine. I just. But like, the, the, it would have been great if I didn't know, I think. It doesn't really bother me as much as the whole last page cover thing, but it is just mm -hmm. one of those interesting tropes of comic book storytelling that like you usually frame the beginning of your story as a reveal, and sometimes those reveals happen on the cover. Mm -hmm. So it spoils your storytelling. 
but mm-hmm. I'm also pretty sure that oftentimes comic writers don't have any control over their covers. Right. So probably not. Yeah. Anyway, it was a good the reveal. The whole backstory, yeah. it was a really solid splash page of Titanium Man Iron Man fighting. Mm-hmm. The whole backstory of Half-Face. Yeah. I felt really bad mocking his design. I mean, he was forced <laughs> to design an explosive. It shattered his jaw. Yeah. And I was going to, it's just, a, it's just a stupid name. Yeah. And like well, you said, he, he is he now chosen himself. I don't know. And yeah, I mean, like, he can't go home, really. His wife and man child are going to be so upset by this iron jaw that he now has. It's at the end of the world. They seem to be living in poverty. I feel like it's one of those things that, like, you get used to. I mean, he's got a really big pride if you think that's really going to get in the way of his wife loving him. Yeah. And then again, if it does, then did she really? This is not nearly as bad as Ben Grimm turning into the thing and getting rejected by Debbie on the Fantastic Four film. Right. It's just like a turtleneck made out of metal, basically. Right. He just can't take off. Yeah. Any ideas on who the uh, mystery person is? I have zero ideas. You say Tony Stark is out of the country? Can you tell me where he returns? Look, fella, I ain't a social secretary. I've just paid to guard the gate. Allow me to commend you. I'm glad to see you're taking the job so seriously. You're only paid to guard the gate. Remember, my business is private, but don't worry. I'll be back. So, no, I don't know. That's all we get out of him. When I read this issue, I did not know who it was. I have since, just through other stuff, found out who it was. Didn't mean to. Okay. It is Aunt May. It Neither. probably is Aunt May. It's a very polite person like Aunt May would be. Totally. Allow me to commend you. Totally sounds like Aunt May. All right. Well, I don't know what else to say other than a good setup for next issue, I guess. Yeah. It was so it's another to get to setup. This really, this wicked setup that uh, Captain America is wearing. Okay. Into the jaws of AIM. Or are we just supposed to say AIM? I don't know. In all the world, there is but one girl whom Captain America truly loves. One mysterious, valiant agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., whose very name is still unknown to him. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? <laughs> Last issue, we saw how Cap unwittingly placed her in the deadliest peril when he attempted to rescue Nick Fury. And now, despite the magnitude of odds against him, the star-spangled Avenger fights back. Face it, faithless one. Wow. Face it, faithful one. Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby were born to bring you Captain America. That, I actually believe, is not hype. Aided, of course... By Joe Sinnott, inker, and Artie Simic, letterer. So, yeah, Cap is in, like, the craziest Kirby scuba deer ever. It's just, like, the top half is covering him, and he can see through a TV, and it's got, like, little handlebars he can hold on to, and it's like a giant jet pack, and it is fantastically crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, approaches AIM underwater. They're on to him, though, and they shoot, like, this cylinder that, Borrows through his awesome, fantastic setup and fills it with gas. He's knocked out. He wakes up un. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, he wakes up on unco- or wakes up unconscious. He wakes up from being unconscious and he's stuck on a magnetic. I don't know something keeping him up there. I forget what it is. Like magnets or crazy magnetic force. He says sheer magnetic force is keeping me up there. And that's when um, the mysterious agent is brought in, and they're like, "We knew she was a traitor, but your shenanigans last issue confirmed it." And she's like, "Oh no! Why did you come? Who cares if I die? You're Captain Freaking America. You can't risk yourself like this. You're too important." And then. Uh, she reaches, gets close, and she's like, but you're the most wonderful man in the world, and I think I love you too. But really, she's whispering, I can reverse the magnets. Get ready. One, two, three. And she does it, and he escapes, 
and they get into a big old fight and Cap takes them all out and the two of them go down the corridor and he needs his shield back because they took it. They're in another room. They're just more aim people are in another room and they're like evaluate or scientifically like studying his shield. They're trying to crush it to no avail. And then this one guy has these crazy Kirby goggles on and he's like, this is made of something I've never seen before. We should take this uh, to MODOK. But before we can get into what MODOK is, Cap just comes from out of nowhere and grabs the shield and takes it back. And he starts beating them all up. Um, the mysterious agent – can we just call her by her name or are we trying to keep this a secret? Um, her, the mysterious agent like helps him out by like shooting in strategic places against the wall to make explosions and stuff to help him with the fight. Um Eventually, though, like they find a hidey hole and they're kind of debating over what to do. She's like, you need to go back. I have to stay. My whole mission is still, even though I failed in staying undercover, I still have to figure out what this MODOK is and I'm going to stay. So you go. And he's like, I'm not leaving you. Are you crazy? A, you're a girl and you can't do this by yourself. B, even if you were a boy, I wouldn't leave because I'm a hero. So they stay. Um, they overhear this mysterious screen and it's Modoc telling them to go find Captain America and the woman um, or I will kill you all. And they're like talking about the AIM soldiers are talking about how they accidentally created or no, they purposely created Modoc, but they didn't expect him to take over like he has. So they're kind of like enslaved in a way um, while they're eavesdropping. Someone gets to drop on cap. They, he gets shot and he's not unconscious, but he's like, uh, paralyzed i guess and they grab the girl and they present the girl to modok and she sinks through the floor i guess to go to meet modok because it's his you know he's like i want to see her in person or something so he presses a button i guess and like the floor disintegrates and she disappears and captain america is still paralyzed on the floor and he's like what am i going to do what am i going to do and this aim guy hovers over him and goes you have bugged us too much and now you shall die Next, if this be Modoc. If this be Modoc. I was not so, expecting that. Anyway, my favorite comic for this month is no. <laughs> it was pretty great. That was great, right? Um even whenever we saw AIM last issue, I was not anticipating the Modoc. No. Which we still don't actually see him in this one, but they've been mentioning him. It's like, yes, 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 yes. Yes. I mean Modoc's ridiculous, but I love him. Of course. Yeah, he's one of those like Arnim Zola kind of weird, but it's awesome and classic. Mm-hmm. But um, 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 a couple awesome things in this story, though. Yeah. That I thought. One, the girl has a really good showing, I thought. Mm-hmm. And we don't like, have to keep her name secret. We haven't been keeping her name secret. We've said it plenty of okay. times. It's just funny okay, that they haven't sh- said it in the story yet. They, they, haven't, they haven't even called her Agent 13 yet. Like nothing, right? She's just a yeah, S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. agent. Yeah, I don't think we've got Agent 13. We had Agent 13 in World War II, but not Agent 13 in the present day. So she's just called an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that – I really like that she acts at first like she's just hopelessly in love, but that was all kind of a ruse to like whisper secrets to him and free him. <laughs> That's great, right? Don't you hate it, though, when your crush leans in to kiss you, but it's uh-huh. just pretend to fake out the bad guys? Yeah. It's but I was kind of surprised scene. by that. I kind of surprised by that because here we are in 1967 and the first part of her dialogue could easily have been the direction they were going to go, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the next panel is, no, actually, I have I have agency and I'm going to free you. And it's just like, wow, 
That was cool. Yeah, it was she, good. She, she does emote liking him though in these in this story somewhere. I remember. Yeah. So it wasn't just completely a ruse, but it. I think just think it was cool that they used it against aim to free him. And I love this line after, like you you put four of them out, and he's like, "I'm sorry, the gas is really affecting." Me. <laughs> I've slowed down. It's like, ah, I think you just made it's a like joke. Ace Ventura, <laughs> five yeah. times. I'm sorry. I must be tired. Right. Uh, full on indestructible shield time. Yes. And they think and it's made, alien. and they it's composed of a substance that I've never. What did he say? Mind here on Earth. Now that's true. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean it's alien. But it could be alien because the substance is unknown, so we don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's uh that's that's a new dimension for the shield. Yeah. Which we had but not it was previously fu- it was cool. It was cool to like actually finally get to the issue where they're just enough with this whole steel disc coated transistor baloney nonsense, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's now officially special, whatever the heck it is. It's very Captain America now. There's still gonna be two more years before we hear the words adamantium. Uh which isn't really his shield anyway, but I'm just saying, like, we're probably not going to get any more information than what we just got for quite a while. Right, right. But that's fine. So Sharon does say some interesting things on page seven. Mm-hmm. Um, Captain America's like, now that I've finally found you again, do you think I'll ever let you out of my life? And she says, you mustn't speak that way. Not now, not when. And she gets interrupted, but says, and like, so what's special about now? Why should he not talk that way now? Because they're on a mission and he's being a doof? I don't know. That's oh, what I took it as. You're right. He is being very unprofessional. I didn't even think about that. I was thinking like some development in their life. Um, yeah, he's totally off book. That's what I thought. Not being professional. That's I like that. Let's go with that. <laughs> like they're they're hiding for their lives right now. And he's like, gosh, you're dreamy. <laughs> Dude, not right now. Also, it's coded in sexism too. Are you mad? Do you think I could go and leave you here alone? Now that I yeah. finally found you, which he doubles down on on page nine. Um, escape while you can. The job is too big for one girl. Well, okay. Too big yeah. for one person. If he had said too big for a girl, I think it'd be worse. Yes. But. That's right. He just like the choice of word was not great. He could have said one agent, one person. Yeah. Because like like I said, I think if, if this was a – if Sharon was a guy here and he wasn't attracted to her, he still wouldn't have abandoned this person, right? Right. So we know that. We know deep down he wouldn't. But now this is the beginnings of uh, um, uh, sexist cap, and there's going to be more. So we can try and justify all we want, but sadly, like Reed Richards, it's not going to get better. It's going to, yeah. But unlike Reed Richards, sometimes I want to just not dismiss it as 67, 1967 stuff, and just actually make it cap as a character is just outdated in his thinking. Yeah. That might be more interesting. And uh, exactly, we've talked about that before. It actually fits really well with him as a character. Yeah. To be in this mindset, it just comes off really tacky because you know it's also in the mindset of 1960s. Um, okay, I hope I, I'm anxious for the day, eager for the day when they get past this whole we are fated to be together. Um, I feel as though some yeah. mysterious bond is linking us together. Your yeah. fate is my fate, Donna. Get to the actual relationship, such as it is. While I agree with that, I was thinking about that earlier because we have talked about that. We literally were just talking about that with Spider-Man the other day and Mary Jane. Like, are they even dating? We don't even know, you know? But they also don't mm-hmm. talk like that. But I feel like if there is a love at first sight 
hardly know each other, but this is the woman for me kind of guy that it kind of works for Cap's character because he's a decision kind of guy, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, you're right. There should be more dating and he should probably play it a little cooler, but I guess it doesn't bother me that much that Cap is a psycho like this because he just is used to making quick decisions that he sticks with, I guess. He's a very black and white character a lot of times, you know? So either he likes you or he doesn't. Right. But, um, but it, it but, would be great if they dated, though. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Or he knew her name or something. I am excited to see where – yeah, getting a name would be a great thing. And then finding this, out who she is in relation to his past would also be great. I mean, this caption, which he is not saying, to be fair, but the caption was like, in all the world, there's only one woman who Captain America truly loves. Anyway, he doesn't know her name. <laughs> it's like, yikes, that's a bad sentence. <laughs> But that's okay. That's just called like, you know, romance or something, I guess. Hey, Mike. Yeah. There's only six more issues of this. I know. And then he gets his own stories. Well, his, his own, own title. Full on book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Guest starring Black Panther and Agent 13, whoever that is. Okay. Well, now I think we're done, right? I think we're done. Yeah. Four, com- I, four stories, four books, I, rather. Yeah. I did read one more just in case, but we're on an hour 30, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. Good stopping point. Well, speaking of the one more you read, just so they can know what their homework is for next time, Mm -hmm. you out there in listener land should read Thor 143, Daredevil 31, The Avengers 43, and Fantastic Four 66. Ooh, that one. where can they find us if they want to? MakeOursMarvel.com has all the links to all the things, like... Uh, podcast apps and RSS feeds and our social media on Facebook and Twitter. And it also has a contact form that you can write and it gets messages directly to us. Or if you don't trust contact forms, you could also just write podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Occasionally we actually read your letters and, and make a mailbag episode. Um, um, so yeah, send us stuff you want to hear on the air. Also on the makearsmarvel.com website, you will find a PayPal link where you can uh, financially support the show, which we always uh, appreciate, though we never expect. And I want to say thank you very much to AJ Betancourt for sending a donation for the show. Thank you very, very much. We do appreciate that. And um, you can find me and Mike on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics, no H. Mike is on Twitter at Kaiser the Great with just one H. We'll figure out where it goes, though. And yeah, we will be back next week for more comic book superhero goodness. So until then, or until Captain America's fated, beloved, shield agent girlfriend forever shoots him in the belly and kills him, make ours marvel. marvel.